0: Let's open our Bibles again to the Gospel of Mark. We will begin chapter 15 this morning in Mark's Gospel. Follow with me, please, as I read the first 20 verses of Mark 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Jesus took our place. This is the simplest and yet most profound of all sentences. Jesus took our place. But what does that mean? It is the gospel in a nutshell. The righteous Son of God assumed our guilt, and he was punished for sins that he never committed. He is the Lamb of God. Three days later, he was raised from the dead to justify every sinner who turns to Jesus, who places their faith and hope in him alone. The simplicity of this message is what keeps our minds set on the things above It's the only true north that keeps us on the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. Departure from this truth and its implications for our lives only leads to distortions of what God requires of us. This was the case in the church at Corinth gospel drift was their greatest threat. The Apostle Paul warned them in his second letter with these words, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Sadly, this is what happened to the church at Corinth. Even though the gospel is what first had saved them and had given birth to them as a church. In the first letter to Corinth, Paul writes, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And like the church at Corinth, we must beware... We must beware of worldly wisdom and man centered philosophies that detract our full attention from Christ crucified, buried, and risen again. The gospel is central to everything that we believe. Jesus took our place. What are the implications of this? Well, we see three in this passage of Scripture before us this morning. Three implications of this simple truth that Jesus took our place. Number one, the rejected king was accused so that we, the ungodly, could be accepted Now, in verse 1, it tells us that this comes immediately after the illegal trials that were held in the middle of the night. The Sanhedrin falsely accused Jesus of blasphemy. He admitted that he was God. They did not believe he was God, and so they accused him of blasphemy, and they declared him to be worthy of death. But they, as religious leaders, did not have the authority to sentence him to death. That could only be done under the authority of the Romans, the Roman representatives of Caesar, the emperor. And so the Sanhedrin needed to get the Roman authorities to carry out the execution of Jesus. And so Jesus was sent to Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor who was in town to keep peace during the Passover. Pilate couldn't care less about the religious charge of blasphemy. He was a political leader. But what he did care about was this new accusation that Jesus Declares himself to be the king of the Jews, that is, a replacement of the Roman emperor. And so they they conjured up this false accusation in order to get Pilate on their side. The wicked religious leaders are now shifting their gears to use the political system to carry out their will which was the execution of the Son of God. So they accuse Jesus of being the king of the Jews. and So Pilate asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, You have said so. This was a subtle declaration that what Pilate was saying was true. And yet, Places all of the responsibility right on the shoulders of Pilate. And the chief priests, it says, accused him of many things. Pilate asks him again, "Don't you have an answer to make? Don't you want to defend yourself against all of these accusations?" And Jesus, in fulfillment of Isaiah 53, which we looked at a couple Sundays ago, he remained silent. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he remained silent. Jesus was innocent. He is the sinless Son of God. We are the ones who are justly accused by God's law. Jesus never did anything to break God's law. But we, as sinners, we are the guilty ones. Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. We are under God's law. Law, and we have been declared guilty by God's law, and therefore we are accountable to God. And though that is true of us, so it is true that Jesus met those accusations. Jesus met the accusations face to face and he nailed them to the cross. He nailed all of the declarations of the law against us to the cross. It says in Colossians chapter 2, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. He's talking to believers that those who trust in Christ have been made alive together with Christ. God having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Now, how did God do this? Did God do this because he changed his mind of what he thought about sin? Did he do this because he just winked at our sinful condition? No, this is how he did this. He set it aside by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so what the religious leaders thought was a triumph for themselves and what Satan considered to be a triumph for himself, Jesus actually is the one who triumphed. They lost. He won. From an outward perspective, of course, Jesus lost. But three days later, everything changed. The rejected king was accused so that we, the ungodly, could be accepted by God. This is the gospel. When we come to Jesus for grace and forgiveness, the Bible says that we are accepted by God because of Jesus, because of his work, because he took our place. There's a second implication. That is this. The righteous king was condemned so that we, the guilty, could be set free. The Roman trial of Jesus takes place in three segments. Mark records two of them and Luke records the one in the middle. And the first is what we just saw. The second segment takes place between verses 5 and 6 here in Mark and only Luke Records this spontaneous event. So basically, what happens is Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent, but he's a coward at heart, and so he sends Jesus to Herod. He wants somebody else to deal with this volatile situation. But Herod questions Jesus just like Pilate did, and he gets the same silent response. He sees no guilt in Jesus in fact both Herod and Pilate found Jesus to be guiltless that is guilty of nothing deserving of death the death that the religious leaders had now called upon the crowd to demand and so Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate and that's where Mark picks up the storyline again At the feast, it says in verse 6, he, Pilate, the Roman governor, used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. So Pilate believes he has found a way out of his problem. He will continue to follow this custom which gives the Roman governor the authority to release one prisoner at each Passover. And he believes that the people will choose Jesus He believes that that the people will recognize we don't want to put an innocent man to death. We don't want to release a murderer from prison back into our society. But what he does not realize, what Pilate does not comprehend, is that the religious leaders have already given their hearts over to Satan and the forces of darkness have now taken hold. And evil will have its day and the innocent son of God will be sentenced to condemnation. There is this man, verse 7, says that his name Barabbas crowd demands that Pilate follow this custom, and so Pilate asks, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Why? Because he knew that not only did he he know that Jesus was not guilty, but he also knew that That there was an evil conspiracy going on among the religious leaders, and it was out of envy that they were working all the people up to get rid of Jesus. Chief priests, verse 11, stirred up the crowd so that Barabbas would be released. Then what do I do with this Jesus? What do I do with this king of the Jews, Pilate says. And they cry out, crucify him. And Pilate, knowing that he is innocent, says, why? Why should I do this? But he is drowned out by the mob who is screaming now, crucify him. then Pilate had him scourged it says in verse 15 what this basically means is that Jesus was tied to a post and he was whipped his back his sides the backs of his legs whipped with a scourge a scourge was A whip made out of many leather strips with glass and pieces of metal woven into the leather. Scourging was so brutal that most people did not survive the scourging and end up actually needing to be nailed to a cross. Jesus, of course, survived. Though the scourging undoubtedly had ripped his flesh to shreds, exposing muscle, causing profuse bleeding. But for his love for sinners, he pressed on. And he endured the cross, despising the shame so that he could save us this is the gospel jesus the righteous one was condemned in our place he was put to death so that we could be set free as peter says in 1 peter 3:18 for christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous in order to bring us to god that's the gospel The righteous one dies in the place of the unrighteous ones in order to bring us to God. That's why in verse 11 in my Bible, I have this one word circled, and it is instead. Think about this. The chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Isn't that a wonderful word? For Jesus was scourged, and Jesus was crucified, and Jesus was condemned instead of you, instead of me. Instead. We, like Barabbas, deserved to be condemned. We are the guilty ones. But Jesus took our place. Jesus was condemned instead. He took our place. That is the gospel. There's a third implication. The third implication is this the rightful king was mocked so that we, the vile, could be honored. says in verse 16 that the soldiers led Jesus away inside the palace the palace is the governor's headquarters and they called together the whole battalion this is up to 600 soldiers in order to, to carry out this false message that this man is a danger this man is worthy of death and we'll prove it by even having 600 soldiers there to be part of it. They clothe him in a purple cloak. In other words, they're, they're mocking that he is the king. They make a crown of thorns and they press it into his skull. And if that isn't enough, then they strike the crown of thorns with a reed to inflict even more pain and cause even more bleeding and then they make a mockery of him bowing before him kneeling saluting him and lead him out to crucify him they didn't know what they were doing they were guilty they were responsible but so blind so overtaken by the evil that was in their own hearts so overtaken by the influence of Satan and the the mob mentality that the religious leaders had created they just went along with it guilty of course but william macdonald writes in the believers bible commentary if they had only known if they had only known it was god the son they clothed with purple it was their own creator they crowned with thorns it was the sustainer of the universe they mocked as king of the jews it was the lord of life and glory they struck on the head they spat on the prince of peace. They mockingly bowed their knees to the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus took our place. The rightful king was mocked so that we, the vile ones, could be honored he was rejected so that we could be accepted and adopted into God's family. He was condemned so that we would not have to be. That is the gospel. The gospel is not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That is not the gospel. The gospel is God is holy we are sinful and to solve the problem that we could never solve God so loved the world and sent his sinless perfect son to be the replacement sacrifice to be the lamb of God to take upon himself the sin and judgment and wrath and punishment that you deserve that I deserve and by doing so, he satisfied his own righteousness. And Jesus declared from the cross, it is finished. It's paid in full. The debt of those sinners is now paid. And God now welcomes into his presence into his family all those sinners who will come to Jesus and believe this is true and trust him in this way as the one who took their place that's the gospel turn with me to Romans chapter 5 you see all of these truths brought together beautifully by the Apostle Paul as he explains the gospel here in the book of Romans. But I think it's interesting that all three of these implications that we've seen in Mark 15 are laid out by Paul in Romans 5, 1 to 11 and applied then to those who believe in Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, connecting chapter 4 to 5, as Abraham was justified by faith, so we are justified by faith. And because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, that Jesus has reconciled us to the Father. He has made peace for us. Through him, that is, through Christ. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that we rejoice in our sufferings, Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's such a beautiful way of saying the same thing. That is, the rejected king was accused so that we, the ungodly, could be accepted and now we stand in grace. We stand before God solely on the basis of grace. And then he goes on, verse 6 For a while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's such a simple but profound statement. In other words, God is not this God who is waiting for people to get religious and clean up their life enough that he wants to accept them. No, he comes and offers salvation to people who are ungodly and weak. So not only are we sinful, but we have no power to change our situation. And so Christ comes and he dies not for a righteous person, but he dies for sinners. And so God then, verse 8, shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the second implication right there. The righteous king was condemned so that we, the guilty, could be set free. He died for the ungodly. And then verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. The rightful king was mocked so that we, the vile, could be honored. Honored by God, placed into his family, not because of anything we have done, are doing, or might do in the future, but solely based upon what has already been done. I spent the first 19 years of my life being taught that Christianity is about do, 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 do. Don't do don't don't do do and god then opened my eyes to see christ and what he accomplished for me on his bloody cross and i came to realize then that christianity is not a religion don't 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 it's a religion of done 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 it is done is done by the Son of God. The sinless Son of God did for us what we could never have done for ourselves if given 10 trillion lifetimes to try. So if you are still trying to make yourself righteous before God to earn His favor, would you just come to the end of yourself today and would you come to the foot of the cross and recognize that it You can't do, do, do anymore. And you have to believe in the one who has done, done, done it all. Not just part of it, all of it. And your salvation rests in him and what he's already done for you. Trust him if you have never trusted him before trust him today and then keep trusting him from now until forever he is worthy he took our place and that is the gospel God we thank you for your grace and your mercy toward us in Christ never ever could we have cleaned up our lives, or our hearts, or our minds, to get to the point where you would look down upon us and say, Oh, those good religious people, they still have a few flaws, but oh, they've made such good progress, and, and they're just so close to being righteous that I, I will now save them and do the rest. Oh, God, forgive us for such a blasphemous religious way of thinking. God, we thank you that in Christ you have done it all. The work is finished. And now we come to Jesus with empty-handed faith We bring nothing except truckloads of sin that need to be forgiven. And we trust in this this Savior and what he's accomplished. So work in our hearts, Father, by the power of your Spirit to apply the gospel to us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our glorious Savior, who took our place. Amen.